Coffee Carmen Connection is about being human. It's about you choosing to prioritize your well-being, putting the time in to strengthen your resilience to adversity, and being part of a community that holds you accountable and offers support when the going gets tough. Our podcasts bring expert insight and real-life experiences together for you to enjoy and learn what it is that makes us human and how to work with it. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for joining me on Coffee, Calm and Connections podcast. I am so excited to have you here. Uh, I've watched some of your TED Talks. Um, I, I've seen what you do. Uh, I love your book. I'm really, really excited to have you here. So do you want to say hello and introduce Laura Di Benedato to the audience? Sure. Hello. It is really a pleasure to spend time with you. And I'm so pleased that you like my book and you enjoyed the TED Talk. Um, I guess a little bit about me is that I have uh, embarked on an exciting journey into the mind. I got very curious about human behavior a couple of years ago, because my own was leading to my own self-destruction. And I really wanted to get to the root of why I was doing what I was doing and why things weren't really shaping up to be the way I thought that, um, that they should. And as I improved my own life based on my findings, I started working with others and was able to impart the wisdom, the tools and the processes to help others to do the same. And it's been really, really exciting to see people go from a place of just despair or sadness or apathy into joy and light and possibility and courage. Do you know, that sounds so incredible because I am also embarking on a journey of the mind and it also is driven um, largely by by my own experiences, my own uh, mental health, my own um, sort of yo-yo of life. Uh, and Coffee Calm Connection for me is just that. It's it's me learning along with hopefully uh, uh, many other people from, from people like you that are further ahead in the journey. So I'm, I'm so excited to have you here. Could you, would you mind giving us a bit of background about Laura before, uh, before your project on, on the six habits and, and the changes it, it, it's made to you? Sure. So like basically everybody else, I started working. Uh, in high school and then college and then after that. And I worked really hard and I followed um, the dream of make all the money and have all the things. And I am an entrepreneur and I started uh, a company um, and I ran that for a number of years and I retired from it uh, when I was 37, which seems like Wow, really impressive. Um, but what does retirement represent? It represents like you've made it. You've got all the things you've you've won, right? Except what happened was I was incredibly burnt out. I had no interest in anything that would have given me excitement and I was just miserable. And it just seemed odd. Like, why would I be miserable when... I've actually accomplished so much and I, I checked all the boxes that society told me that if I check these, then I'll be happy. It didn't work. So all those years uh, that I spent in entrepreneurship, I, I built um, 
commercial success. I won many awards. I, um, I was on major news, uh, several times and it was really, uh, something, but it just left me sick. It left me unhappy. And that was the source of my inspiration. That's in, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So you're at 37 and you've retired, which is a dream by any standards uh, you know, old standards in terms of what you living the dream you think you should. Um, and then what happened then, then what happened? Well, what happened was I started really taking inventory around, um, what was going on. I noticed that my body was, um, not healthy. You know, when you're young, you just take your health for granted. You're like, Oh, I'm young. I'm healthy, whatever. No. That was not the case. I was actually bleeding internally. Um, I was uh, experiencing a lot of um, illness, and I finally had an opportunity to look at it. And um, it was uh, it, it was really just a wake up call. So I got really curious. I was like, well, okay, uh, if I'm sick, if I'm feeling apathy and just generally just grumpy all across life, why? Um, I wanted to know, and it was the opening uh, question in my TED talk. I wanted to know, well, what do happy people have in common? You know, subtext being because I clearly don't have it. <laughs> and um, it just, it really sparked this incredible curiosity of like, wow, what is it that really makes people happy? And what did I miss? Yeah, I've read all these books over the years and I've done all these things and that wasn't it. You know, like you could be as thin as you want, you could have all the money you want, but if you're still unhappy, there's, it's probably because you're, you're missing something. And I just, I knew that there was something missing and I wanted to figure out what that was. So, um, I started studying human behavior. I started looking at, uh, all of the thought leaders that I'd ever admired over the years, plus a whole bunch of new ones, uh, observing people, uh, asking people questions and really getting to the bottom of, well, what do happy people have in common? And also what do unhappy people have in common? And I had like everything on that list <laughs> and a lot of us do. So, um, it just really sparked this, um, this idea to, uh, really just continue down the rabbit hole to really discover what it was. And what I discovered was really remarkable. It wasn't like stuff like yoga. I love yoga, by the way. It wasn't even church. It, and I love church. It wasn't like, you know, eating your veggies or going to the gym or having a lot of money and all those things. They're nice, but they give you a great temporary high. But then you're just left with yourself when the novelty wears off. Um, and I was like, huh, well, if it's not those things, what the hell is it? It's actually the reasons why you do those things and why you would eat right, why you would do yoga, go to church, spend time in nature, why you do that stuff. And it all comes down to how you think. So then I started looking at, well, how do we think? Um, so it, it turns out that we, um, we have habitual thoughts. I came across a number of studies that talked about the quality and quantity of thought that we have in the course of a day. And we have um, anywhere from like 50 to 60,000 thoughts per day. It could be anywhere from like grab the cup to I need to go get the mail to I need to call so-and-so. So we're having a volume of thoughts. 
What astounded me was the sheer volume, but also the repetitious nature of them. The fact that about 90% of our thoughts are the same as the previous day. Maybe they'll have slightly different words, but the flavor is essentially the same. So this reveals the thought patterns within us. The frightening aspect of my research into all these incredible studies was discovering that about 85% of our repetitious thoughts are negative. So, you know, they say garbage in, garbage out. Well, it's very true. So um, it basically all created this centralized idea, um, which was the basis for my talk and the basis of the book, which is if you change the quality of your thoughts and develop a new mental habit in six key areas, you can change your life. So that was my theory. I proved it by changing my own life and working with people one-on-one uh, -on -one and also just readers of my book who've gone on to change their lives. I think that's incredible. And one of the things that you, you, you said, and I forget if it's in the TED Talk or, or uh, on one of the videos I've seen you talking, is that life is a reflection of mental habits. Um, and I want to tell you about something, because uh, I am very, very philosophical. I love psychology. I did psychology at A-level. Uh, I do an awful lot of reading around the subject. And I find it really interesting and, and fitting with what you've just said. So I went for a run this morning and I was doing hill intervals and it, it wasn't comfortable by any means. I was uncomfortable and not particularly happy doing it. And on the kind of jog home, like the kind of cool down, I, I was aware of a part of my head, like a tiny little box in there that was trying to get out going, oh my God, I hate this. But it, it was very firmly in a box. I was aware it was there, but it was very firmly in a box. And I chose to put my focus on the fact that the mist was still hanging around. And it was a beautiful morning. And actually, the hill sprints were done now. And well done me. I could, could check this off my, 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 my plan and, and the endorphins and blah, blah. So I, there was, a, there was um, almost conscious choice to put my focus on the positives. And it got me thinking about... Um, the choice we have just because i mean if you've got a flower and a spider next to each other focusing on the fl the flower doesn't invalidate the spider's presence but it does bring you joy for me i don't like spiders if i was to focus on the spider the flower's so far from anything i could think of but it is still there it's still a valid presence and I, so I, i'm really interested in this idea about how we think and how it kind of reflects our our outlook on the world. I wonder if you want to um, give us a little bit of an overview of your book and what the six habits are and what kind of practical tools you've used to to bring them into your life in a sort of a daily, uh, to make it a habit, I suppose. Sure. Um, so the the overview of the book is that there's six key areas um, in which we generally have all of our thought contained um, and they can be broken out into like basically three different buckets. It's your relationship with you, your relationship with life, and then your relationship with activity. So, I mean, if you think about it, everything you could possibly imagine falls in one of those buckets. Like you got to get dressed. That's an activity. It's also your relationship with you. You know, you have something happen to you. You blow out a tire on the highway. Um, what's your reaction to that? What is your relationship to what happened? Um, 
So if you think about those things, just in those three lenses, it really covers like 100% of all the things we could experience as humans. Um, and all the choices that we make as a result of the thoughts we have. So it's funny, I've had like almost universal responses to um, the readers of my book going through the book and being like, wow, I wish I'd thought of this. And so much of it seems so obvious, except it's not. So if we know so much, why aren't we doing it? And if common sense were so common, why don't more people have it? <laughs> it's kind of one of those things. So when you think about the six habits, they're broken out into six words you've already heard before. Um, the tricky part is in the embodiment and turning it into a lifestyle. Not so much hearing about them, but the six key areas are kindness, which is how you treat yourself. Uh, acceptance, which is how you feel about yourself, which is different. Um, gratitude, which is how you interact with what happens. Um, You've got presence, which is your uh, consciousness uh, around um, your general involvement in what's going on. You have goodness, which is basically uh, moderating the inflow of um, uh, what you take in. And your output is intention. Intention is the final habit. So these six uh, key areas of our psyche uh unfortunately are broken and very negative for most of us. And I say this as the person who used to be that way. Um, when you're, when you're thinking about, uh, how you live your life and I've worked with lots of people one-on-one -on -one who are like, Oh, I'm kind to myself. Are you let's, let's, um, explore, shall we? And then I ask a lot of questions and then, Oh, Oh, I, I'm actually not as kind as I thought. I realize that I'm actually really hard on myself in these areas, in these areas. And then there's always the, oh, but I, you know, I, I beat myself up really hard and it helps me to get places in life. Does it? Does it? How's your health? How's your, uh, how's your self-esteem? Do you think you might achieve more if you thought well, more well of yourself and you treated yourself better? Yeah. So <laughs> we, we need to really practice self-awareness. Just by way of example, I wonder if you might, um, if we can just spend, could, could you do that on me as you would with your clients to give people an idea of how you work with people? If I say to you, I'm kind to myself, I get it. What, what's your response? How would you, how would you work with me in that respect? Well, I mean, to be fair, we're starting the conversation in the middle, but sure. I'd love to, uh, hear, uh, what is your, uh, probably your top three insecurities? Um, Oh my God, my top three insecurities. Um, Sorry to make you seen, but you volunteered for this. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. Okay, so my top three insecurities, I suppose, I think I overcompensate in every area of life because I'm never quite sure if I'm good enough. So um, I I've got a real hang up about uh, whether I'm making excuses of whether or whether something is is actually justifiable and I don't really trust my own judgment on that when it comes to me so I'd say that that is a is a top five insecurity in itself because it comes into so many different areas my uh, my maternal instincts I sometimes worry leave a little bit to be desired uh, I love my children dearly. I'm not an earth mum. I'm not a natural mum. I have no idea how to cook. I hate cooking. Uh, I hate doing creative stuff. And uh, I don't feel like I give my kids the best of me. 
and I worry that that might be detrimental to their future. Um, okay, one more. Um, I worry that I let people down um, <laughs> by being human. Does that result in you being a perfectionist? I am. A, I yes, I'm a perf perfectionist and probably a control freak. Mm. You don't like surrender, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I see you. So when you don't trust yourself, when you are making statements that you don't feel like you give your kids your best, you are a perfectionist and control freak. What are the statements that you say to yourself or how do you describe? I just heard how you describe yourself to me, but what do you say to you about these things? This is something that I'm, I'm doing quite a lot of internal reflection on because I think there are two levels of this. I think there are what I consciously say to myself and, and the thoughts that sit just below that. And the ones that sit just below that, I think, are very negative. I think there, there is... Um, Let's talk about those. I, I think I'm very... Uh, I'm very direct as a person, generally. Uh, and I don't fluff things very well, uh, which is an asset as much as it is a, a, a not. But I think it can also be quite damaging when it's said with a certain tone. And, and, and I, I definitely have that tone. I think with yourself. Yeah. hundred percent. So give me an example of some of the things that you say to yourself with that, uh, critical harsh tone. I'll give you a direct example. Cause it happened to me about uh, an hour ago. I came home from work and I haven't eaten yet today and I was hungry and I am trying really hard to be very, um, uh, uh, aware of what I'm putting in because I don't think I don't think it's maximizing my health and I've got you know I'm you know I'm tired sure. quite a lot um, and I'm getting quite a lot of joint pain which I think is an inflammatory result and of uh of not a great diet my diet's not terrible by any means but I think it could be better but I, I haven't eaten today for one reason or another came home and thought right I'm really hungry what can I eat fruit or a bowl of rice krispies and obviously I opted for the rice krispies and spent the next half an hour going well there's a fail you're three days in three days in come on like there's just no excuse there's literally no excuse you either want it or you don't obviously you don't that type of mm. tone is my self tone and I possibly mm it can come out in other ways, I suppose. Okay. Now, what do you say to yourself about your parenting? Oh, that that tone has no place in parenting. And uh, I worry sometimes it might creep in. Okay. So um, first things first, I'm going to call out that I hear that I'm just saying it, you are resisting telling me what I'm asking you. And I don't uh, blame you for doing that because being fully seen is uncomfortable as hell. The other thing that I'm noticing is that you said, well, obviously I chose the Rice Krispies. You have an expectation of yourself that is impossible and also very cutting. So, well, of course you failed. Of course, is this general narrative that's creeping below the surface, which is essentially revealing self-loathing um, you are not treating yourself with love. And I, I, I feel very confident in asking you this. 
if anyone else were to treat you the way you treat you, would you let them do it? Not a chance. And I okay. say that so, to my daughter because she treats herself very harshly. And I say to her, you are your friend. Would you talk to your friend that way? Yeah. And, uh, so 100% get it. I'm interested in this, in resisting. I, 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 can you, how am I resisting? Because that must be a subconscious thing coming through because I'm not intentionally doing it. So tell me. So how, as how a I perfectionist and a control freak, and I, I have a lot of clients like this who are perfectionists and control freaks who uh, don't directly answer my questions um, or they'll answer something different to the left because it helps you to not be vulnerable. Perfectionists and control freaks, self-admitted, uh, do not like to be vulnerable. It is the worst place to be because it means that you can be hurt. So when there is a resistance to um, saying the truth that's really hard, maybe your brain is not letting you answer me um, fully because uh, you're trying to keep yourself safe from harm. I mean, that's what your brain is supposed to do. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm hearing. And um, that's, uh, it's something really difficult to do. So I asked you the question, like, well, what do you say to yourself about your parenting? And there, there wasn't a direct answer. The, the common answers would be something like, you know, I say, oh, geez, you're ruining the kids or this or that. It's the self-talk. So if you want to try again, now that you've been challenged, and I know that your perfectionist and control freak self is like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. I can, I can be vulnerable. I can do this. Um, yeah, all of those I'm going to give you the challenge again. Okay. Yes. What do you say to yourself about yourself, about your mothering? What are the negative things that you say that criticize yourself? Um, I often say to myself and one of my worries is that i am going to give my kids high levels of anxiety when they are adults i also say to myself that uh my i read somewhere that children form most of their habits before they're eight and the ship has sailed i've already ruined them because of who I am as a human being. And they're now, well, my youngest is six, but the other one's nine and the other one's 12. So the, the first two are gone, the ship has sailed, I can't change that. Um, I, mm -hmm. what else do I say? They're all things along these kind of lines, but I, then I Basically, them you've destroyed your children. Before they've even grown up. That's absolutely ludicrous. That has not happened, Sarah. I give them everything I have. It's just, I don't right. always think that what I have is enough or mm -hmm. right. It's right. It, so what I was going to say is, first of all, thank you for answering me. Um, well done, and, me. Uh, accepting <laughs> the challenge. <laughs> About time, right? <laughs> um, it's brave to answer that question and, and to really just, you know, reveal your deepest fear, which is that you are not good enough. So the way you treat yourself can often reveal how you feel about yourself. And, you know, you were candid about that and you worry that perhaps you're not enough of a mother, right? You're not giving them enough. You're not, you know, feeding them the right stuff. You don't cook enough. You, it, it really points to a deep fear that you are simply not good enough. So 
the way we express ourselves behaviorally, you know, it could be, um, you know, the way you speak about your, yourself to yourself when you think about parenting, you know, it, it also like the, the first two habits, the third and fourth habit and the fifth and sixth habit, they have direct connections to each other, which is why I've kind of put them in those three buckets. Um, but when you're thinking about like your feelings of insufficiency, it points to a deep fear that you have. Um, you love your children so, so, so much. And the worst fear of them being ruined would be like a nightmare for you. And you're afraid that you're responsible for that. Am I right? Yeah, 100%. So this points to the work that you would want to do within yourself, which is to raise incredible self-awareness around the origin and the genesis of every single one of these feelings. It's not just how you treat yourself in your case. Um, it is really pointing to why you're doing it, which is how you feel about yourself. Um, and where is that coming from? So the origin of that um, could be your own mother. It could be uh, imposter syndrome. It could be someone that you admire. It could be um, you know, a, a deep insecurity that came from a uh, childhood of your own. So, you know, whenever we have these things and I have them too. So if you, if you want to, um, make the scales more balanced, we can talk about some of my issues if it makes you feel better, but like we all have these things and it's really such an invitation. It's not even like our responsibility. I mean, it is, it's like, you know, it's not your fault that you're screwed up, but it's totally your fault if you stay screwed up. Like it's our invitation to look into, well, why do I feel this way? Like logically I understand this, but deep in my heart, these fears are forcing me to be so unkind to myself. And I need to really explore where this is coming from. So then I can start to embody something different, even if it's uncomfortable and weird. Mm -hmm. So in this case, you would want to number one, admit it, which you did Two, learn about how you can really get to the bottom of where it's truly coming from. Do some healing work around that. It could be therapy. It could be journaling, it could be praying. It could be whatever it is that it takes for you to let something go. It could be forgiveness. It could be anything really. Um, once you can get to a place of like helping to release it and let it go, you can start to change it. And by changing it, that's where, and I, I say this so many times in my book, you have to actually do it. You can't just read the book passively and all of a sudden there, I'm better. It doesn't work like that. You have to actively work on living the new way even when it's weird and uncomfortable. So this would be something where you would catch yourself when you're saying these terrible things and understanding because you and I are having this conversation now, you and I know this is coming from a place of fear, right? But we don't know where the fear is coming from. Once you get to the root of that, next time you hear yourself be like, oh my God, I'm ruining the kids. They're going to grow up to be mass murderers. Oh my God, what have I done? Right? Whenever you're doing this to yourself, you can a, identify it. B, be like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not the person I'm trying to be. This is not the best Sarah. I know this is my fear and all of the stuff underneath it that's talking, not really me or my best and highest self. So I'm going to replace that. I'm going to do a redo, which is, no, I'm not ruining my kids. I'm doing a good job and they like me, damn it. And I'm proud of myself. 
Like you have to like it sounds so like Stuart Smalley. Like you ever like pay attention to like Saturday Night Live and like familiar with who he is? I mentioned it in the book. It's like I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. Well, yeah, you do have to completely like rescript the narrative that's in your head because the one is real that you have currently. It's actually really hurting you. It might actually be damaging your relationship that you have, um, you know, with yourself and the potential greatness of the bond you could have with your children. Mm. It's so but interesting. You have to have a very great look uh, at it. Have you have you heard of Mo Gaudat? No. So Mo was the uh, Google X's uh, chief business officer, and he's written a book called Soul for Happy, which is an, a really good book, and I would highly recommend. Um, one of the things that struck a chord with me in that book was um, he talks about standard high achievers that he's met, you know, like the CEOs, the entrepreneurs, the blah, 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 uh, who have perfectionism and controlism in their DNA. Um, and he talks about how we lurch from one like big goal to another as a way of somehow proving something to someone about our own worth whether it's, you know, hitting a turnover threshold in your business, whether my current one is I'm running an ultramarathon, which I'm not fit to do, but I'm going to try anyway. Whatever it is, we lurch from one big goal to another. And that really struck a chord with me because it is so true and it is so me and it feeds into some of the things we're talking about now. Absolutely. And these things, by the way, this, this constant self-flagellation that a lot of high achievers like myself and like yourself, um, use as a tool ultimately, ultimately, I mean, if you hit something long enough, it'll break, including you, including me. I broke. I have no problem admitting that. And at some point, my darling, you're going to break too, unless you change. Um, it's just a fact like, you know, high achievement is awesome. It really, really is. But ultimately high achievement is not fulfillment. They're different things. And living a life of genuine happiness is one that is fulfilled. And when you're, when you're constantly just chasing the next apex and like the next huge accomplishment, it's very exhausting, particularly when you do it from a place of um, constantly beating yourself to get there versus inspiring yourself to get there. You can still be a high achiever. But when it comes from a place of joy, it's easier. You don't have to try as hard. You don't have to beat yourself into submission. You actually get to have fun. Mm. Novel idea. But there's this other crazy thing going on where high achievers um, seem to, at least uh, across my clients, um, have this um, universal judgment against sitting still, a judgment against uh, allowing surrender, uh, or the notion of not being a high achiever. Like they would look at their spouse sitting on the couch with contempt because they look at themselves when they sit on the couch with contempt because they've made a negative, uh, judgment about the idea of anything that is not moving forward at breakneck pace is bad. And this is honestly like I work with a lot of high achievers and this is one of the things that we have to constantly like deprogram like, hey, 
first of all, you're going to ruin your marriage if you, if you don't stop glaring at your spouse when they're sitting on the couch reading a book, but you're also going to ruin yourself because, um, you know, while moving forward and achievement is great, you need to learn stillness as well if you expect to be a truly happy, fulfilled person versus an accomplished person. I know lots of accomplished people who are miserable. Yeah. I know lots of fulfilled people who have all different kinds of accomplishment and it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, I, I hear what you're saying. And it's like, I'm on the journey. I've been on the journey for a while now. Um, and um, some of the patterns that I uh, follow, my awareness of them is is much more increased and actually I've made some quite significant changes in my life I'd say over the last two years um in terms of mental reframing but I've got a lot a long way to go and I don't think you get there unless it is something you are thinking about and aware of every single day and that's absolutely correct and absolutely correct so when we're having these like 60,000 thoughts a day and like 85% of them are basically negative and repetitious, yeah, you have to think about this all the time. So um, the way that I encourage people to do this type of deep work is to first of all, read the book, grab it on Amazon, listen to it on Audible, whatever works for you, but grab the book. It's printed, I think, in like 15 different countries, which is super cool, um, including countries I've never even been to, but my book has. Woo-hoo! <laughs> Amazing. Nice. I love- right? Um, but that just acquaints you with like the journey, right? It, it reveals the map. Remember once upon a time when you'd like 15 years ago before GPS, you'd like, you know, maybe go online or like print out the directions from like MapQuest or whatever. That's kind of what this is. Like you have to know where you're going first. Like, okay, this is what good looks like. This is what fulfillment looks like. This is what joy looks like. And the next part is incredible self-awareness. So with the book comes um, all these free tools that you can do for uh, self-discovery. And I really want people to do the self-discovery, which is why I made them free. I didn't want there to be a single barrier for anyone wanting to do it. Like, you've got the book. Like, here's the tools. No excuses. Like, go get them. They're free. They go with the book. And they help you to really see where you are with respect to each of these six habits and how you're doing. So when you say, "Eh, I'm kind to myself, are you really? You know, oh, I'm grateful. You sure? Like everything challenges your assumptions. And you know what? You'll discover that you're actually really good at some of the habits already and that some of them, maybe not so much. And you want to figure out like, what are your priorities? And the priorities tend to be the area in which you're hurting the most is the one that needs the attention first. So then you do that. And then there's an optional, um, a guided daily program that actually helps you to reprogram your brain. It's a 90 day program, which is um, generally 60 days longer than a lot of people's desires because we love our 30 day, 21 day, except those are all marketing lies. And I don't do the whole lying thing. I'm a high integrity individual. It's one of my core values. So I was also studying like what it takes, not just to like 
you know, change your thoughts and, you know, the method of doing it, but like, how long does it take? Did the development of a habit blew me right out of my sneakers. It takes 66 days minimum to actually change a habit, either to adopt one or, you know, get rid of one. Like it requires concerted daily continual effort in order to do it. And you know what? I was actually thinking about this. So I, I, I started writing the book, um, right around three years ago, right around this time of the year. Um, and in that time, I was like, I was talking to my husband about it. I'm like, huh, how am I doing with all of these now that like, I wrote the book, I did the self discovery work, I did all the research, and then I did this 90 day thing. Like, how am I doing, especially post pandemic? Well, turns out I'm super kind to myself. Uh, acceptance was my biggest biggest challenge. I constantly compared myself to people. Um, that one I struggled with, um, quite a bit, but, uh, mastered that one. Um, gratitude, uh, going through the pandemic got a little wobbly, not going to lie, but, uh, it's still a habit. It's, it's still the lens through which I view life. You know, uh, my habits of intention is still there. The goodness is still there, especially now that I really don't participate in social media. I'm like, y'all are negative. I gotta go. Um, and I'm present with things. And, and I was just really like thrilled to see, like, I really have mastered these habits and they're actually my way of being now. And, that's interesting. And even through like different challenges, like, um, you know, I was sick earlier this year and I had, um, you know, some fallouts with, uh, with some friends, we have differing views and I just, I've become intolerant to BS. Let's just put it that way. So I have like strong boundaries around certain things and, you know, there's just heartbreak attached to that. And I moved and I used to live in Maui and now I live in Florida and it's been hard to see people suffering and, and whatever, but, you know, as, as long as they stay important to you, you can keep the habits. Your old habits are stronger. They are. Like your habit of not being kind to yourself, like I promise you, please read the book fully. Uh, do the self-discovery work. And, uh, you know, I encourage you, do the 90-day habit mastery exercises. You will master all six of the habits and at some different points in, in uh, over the next, you know, life, you're going to find that you get a little wobbly because things happen. But if they stay important to you and they, they, they become the pillars of your well-being, you'll stay solid because they continue to stay important to you. It's, it's kind of like, you know, uh, what is it like? Um, what's that phrase? Uh, grass grows where you water it. Like, you know, that, you know, that what you pay attention to actually like manifests. Like if you constantly focus on, oh, this is bad and blah, 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 your, your habits are going to fall away, but you can get them and keep them. It's the same thing with like, you know, alcoholics, they go to like Alcoholics Anonymous and sometimes they'll go for many, many years because they attain sobriety and they wish to keep their sobriety. Mm. How, same thing if you keep it important it'll stay important when so when you were at your lowest to to kind of the point at which you kind of went actually I, i've i've mastered this like i i, I am where i want to be and i've just got to maintain i mean that's a little bit um it's, it's not a great way of putting it but you get what i mean how, how long was that through your research and and then the sort of self-discovery um, 
For me, I mean, I, I, I'm really not a good um, benchmark for this because I'm the person that went down the rabbit hole and did all the research and then experimented and tweaked and did all those things. So I'm not a good judge for this, um, but I will answer you anyway. It took me about six months from the beginning of my um, project uh, to the end. I had, um, you know, some false starts with a couple things because I was still trying to figure out like, how do you actually cement this in a very stubborn head? Um, and I definitely have one of those. Um, you know, I had to figure out like, how do you do this? And I had to be my own guinea pig. I had to like actually make it work. So, you know, I've seen other people take longer. I've seen other people take less time. It really, it really depends. Like my, um, my husband did the program with me and, um, he has been notoriously hard on himself his whole life. Very, very hard on himself. And, um, it was nice to see him change. And the thing is, it's not like you change, um, so gradually that you don't notice, because uh, you start to feel, like when you're actually living the truth that you want in advance um, of actually having it, you still get to reap the benefits early, even if it's not necessarily a habit yet. So if you suddenly start being kind to yourself before you automatically uh, do that, you still get the benefits of being kind to yourself. You still get the benefits of being like hyper grateful and like super laser focused on like what you're going to do that day. Like you, you get the benefits right away. So the trick for all of it, though, or not really the trick, the um, I guess the mysterious part is like when do all these things become the default? And um, some of these some of these habits became the default for me, um, like really quickly, about 45 days in and others, they actually took longer. Like the acceptance is the one I struggled with the most. And that one is the one that took me about six months because I had to figure out, well, if I'm struggling, someone else is going to struggle. Um, I have to figure this out. Like, how do you actually break that barrier for for everything, for all of the six habits? So, mm. yeah. no. Laura, I think I think listening to you has been absolutely fascinating and I'm really grateful to you for doing a like a sort of a guinea pig conversation with me and anybody listening <laughs> that wants to speak to Laura to see whether she might be able to help them read the book first and then uh, go and have a conversation with Laura. If you're happy, Laura, I'll make sure your contact details are in the in the show notes for this episode. Is that OK? Absolutely. Please do. Awesome. Well, I just want to say thank you very much. It's been it's been really, really good fun and interesting talking to you. Yeah, I actually I really uh, enjoyed that you wanted to uh, share and be vulnerable and actually be like the little guinea pig and have the conversation. It's really brave. And it also just makes these conversations so much better. So instead of like talking about it in the abstract, we actually get to talk about a real meaty thing that we can sink our teeth into that's actually really relatable because a lot of moms are convinced they're ruining their kids' lives. And like, we all like condemn ourselves. Why did you have the Rice Krispies? You know, you should have had vegetables because I wanted them. That's why. Because <laughs> they were easy and they were there. And do you know what? Coffee, Calm and Connection yeah. is absolutely my, my own personal challenge, my own personal vulnerability. And I flatter myself that I am uh, not so dissimilar to the rest of the universe that people can't learn with me. So I'm, I'm really grateful to you. Thank you. Absolutely. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Your reviews, shares, and followership is incredibly valuable to us. If you'd like to know more about our work through Coffee Carbon Connection and how we can support you, please email us at hello at coffeecarmconnection.org or follow us on social media. Thank you.